Well, as John stated, good morning. Uh, I am Brian Telsro. I'm one of the pastors here at Fifth, and uh, glad that you've chosen to join us, whether here in person or online. Excited to bring this message to you with regards to Palm Sunday, a very uh, eventful week uh, ahead of us. Uh, and so, John, I appreciate your prayers. Look forward to, again, as we unpack the Gospel of John. And as John wrote, he intended that we read these stories and believe that Jesus is the Christ. And so, as we get ready to hear this, um, I look forward to sharing a message with you. Uh, when Becky and I first got married, we were married in uh, 1988. And we had uh, the privilege of moving to Chicago. We spent the first two years of our marriage in Chicago. And one of the benefits of being in Chicago at that time is I got to go to a couple of Bulls games, Chicago Bulls, at the United Center. Now, if you know anything about the history of the United Center during that that time, that was Michael Jordan's era. Uh, And they created this introduction to the Bulls games that brought such great expectation in the game. And I got to go see a couple of those. And so I wanted to just show you a little bit of a clip of what that was like as they introduced the team. Watch this. lights would then come up and the energy was high. You were there with so much expectation for what was to come. Well, Jerusalem was like that as Jesus came to town for the Passover feast. The day before, he came to Bethany, which is the town right next to Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem sits high on the hill and you could look and be able to see Bethany. And if you're in Bethany, you could see Jerusalem very easy. Uh, And so they were right next to each other. Jesus comes to Bethany to see his good friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus, who had just been raised from the dead just recently. And there were people all over the area that were coming to town, coming to the feast of the Passover, not only to see Jesus, but they wanted to see Lazarus as well. 
this man who had just been risen from the dead. Well, as Jesus comes to Mary's house, they're hanging out there and Mary takes a jar of perfume and pours it off Jesus' feet and wipes it with her hair. This is the anointing of Jesus for his burial. But the people there didn't see it as that. Some, like Judas, saw it as just a frivolous waste of money. That was a very expensive jar of perfume. But Jesus understood this as being a preparation for what was yet to come, even though others in the room were not aware of what was happening. Jesus and Lazarus had become so popular during that time that the Pharisees wanted to kill both Jesus and Lazarus. So, the next day, as we heard the story read in the lobby, a colt was brought in, a donkey was brought in for Jesus to ride from Bethany into Jerusalem. As the triumphal entry, as we kind of practiced a bit of that, uh, walking down here the aisle, not even close to what it was like, but it was a good kind of representation, uh, perhaps of being what it might have been like, waving palms in the celebration of Jesus coming to town. But what's noteworthy in this particular case is the people were expecting for Jesus to come in as a king. Well, if he had wanted to come in as a king, he would not have ridden on a donkey. He would have ridden on a horse. A horse is a symbol of strength. And folks would rally behind that strength and usher in kind of a new reign, so to speak. But Jesus comes in riding on a donkey in a way to fulfill what the prophecies had said, that your king would come riding in on a donkey. But it's not the type of king that they were expecting. You see, it reminds me a bit of Isaiah 55, verse 8, where the Lord uh, states that my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. And I can't help but think, as you think about Jesus coming this way, that his agenda was far different than what the people's agenda was, even though they're still singing, Hosanna, which means save us, save now. We really want that to happen. They were ready to be ushered in to a new reign of, of rule, uh, more than what the, the Romans were doing at that time. They wanted a king like David, or even better. But that's not what was happening. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Blessed is the king that comes riding on a donkey. What was Jesus trying to communicate in this particular case? I can't help but think about how many times in my own life that events have happened and I'm expecting this to go on, but this happens. Um, one of those occasions was when I was previously here as the youth pastor. I had come from my experience of working with Young Life and uh, just recently come uh, the youth pastor here and, or the director of youth ministry at that time and I had just finished my MA education through Fuller Seminary. And um, I remember the last couple of classes were actually at Western Seminary. And um, I, it came to the time where I was done with that, and I had a choice to accept that degree or not, or to keep the door open for something more. So I went to the registrar and said, hey, if I accept this degree, is there a way for me to keep the door open to get the MDiv? Because as my service here at Fifth, I didn't know where that was going to go, but I wanted to keep the door open in some way, shape, or form. And they said, sure, we can do that. I said, would you put that in writing for me? That was some wisdom that came beyond my understanding. 
because a few time, a little bit of time later, a year or two or whatever, I went back and the registrar was no longer the same. And so I said, I'd like to go on and complete my MDiv, having accepted this MA from Fuller. And they said, no, we can't, we can't do that. You, you have this degree, now you need to start in this direction. And I said, oh, yes, I can. Um, and uh, fortunately, they honored that uh, by God's grace as well. And I completed that MDiv. But again, I had no idea why I had completed that MDiv. Because I was still very committed to what I was doing here in youth ministry at 5th. I had no future direction necessarily tied to that. But God did. God had a plan that had a different direction for me. Uh, and that's what led me to be able to teach at Kuiper and still allows me to be able to be back here in the roles that I get to play. And I'm very grateful for that. But at the time, I didn't know why God was doing this. Just like John writes in this particular passage, following the triumphal entry, uh, he says, John wrote, to the disciples, but they didn't understand why this was going on until after he was glorified. So years ago, I listened to a radio program that maybe some of you are familiar with. Do you recognize the name Paul Harvey? Anyone? Yes. Paul Harvey, um, unbeknownst to us at the time, lived in Chicago. We happened to pull in behind his car and had a license plate that said P. Harvey. We think that was Paul Harvey's car, but uh, it was before the time that these uh, uh, vanity plates or things existed. Uh, but it was his, I think that was his car. And yeah, we did see him actually at uh, the restaurant that we happened to be going at the same time. Well, he had this program called The Rest of Your Life. Or excuse me, The Story. There you go. The Rest of the Story. Sorry, sorry. Um, he would, and so for those of you who don't know Paul Harvey, what he would do is he would share a story about somebody. Sometimes they were famous, sometimes they weren't. Uh, and you kind of mostly knew what was going on. And then they'd go to a commercial break. And then he would say something further about their life and end that with, now you know the rest of the story. Well, as we've witnessed this triumphal entry, I think for our sake, we need to know the rest of the story. Because it wasn't just about his anointing as coming into Jerusalem as king. He had something much more planned. And so I titled this next little section called The Hour Has Arrived. Because all throughout the Gospel of John, there are circumstances where the word is saying his, his hour has not yet come. You might be familiar with the story of Jesus at the wedding ceremony where the family runs out of wine and Mary, Jesus' mother, comes with some servants and says, hey, this is the situation. Uh, do whatever he tells you. And Jesus says, mom, no, he says woman, I think is the way it's described. Now is not my time. Well, he has another occasion in John 7 where he's with his brothers and they're about ready to go to the Feast of the Tabernacle, but that was going to be in Jerusalem. And things, tensions were high. And they were thinking it was time to go to Jerusalem. And Jesus says, no, now is not my time. Again, there's an argument that goes on with the uh, Pharisees or some of the leaders. Uh, and he says again, now is not the time. And finally, once more, he has a similar experience with the Pharisees where things were going to get pretty volatile. And they were arguing and they didn't do anything because it had, this hour had not yet arrived. But now, Following his triumphal entry, in verse 23, Jesus says, The hour has come for the Son of Man 
to be glorified. Now, to be fair to all the people who were there, I would have gotten caught up in that same hoopla. I mean, you can imagine being in Jerusalem at the Feast of the Passover and Jesus is arriving and all these people are carrying palm brands and, and celebrating his arrival. He had just raised Lazarus from the dead. And previously, all throughout the gospel, you hear him establishing his authority over so many things, all over nature. He walked on water. He calmed the sea. He produced food out of nothing or very little things to be able to feed thousands of folks. Uh, he healed people with diseases that couldn't have been healed before without uh, his touch. He had he'd driven out demons. He had done things that nobody else ever saw. And so you can imagine, if you saw that, certainly this guy is going to be our person to reign over Jerusalem like no other. But that's not what happened. It likens me again back when I was a kid. I used to watch some TV shows. Back in the day, we had knobs where you actually had to turn the channel. Uh, and we actually had narrators for some of the shows that we used to watch. And those westerns, you remember those? There would be this volatile scene going on, and all of a sudden, the narrator would come on and kind of give a little description. Then he would say, meanwhile, back at the ranch. Uh, and he'd give a whole other scenario of what's happening. Well, this is part of that meanwhile. Jesus has something different planned. He says this in verse 24. Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Wait, dying? No, you're to be our king. You can't die. That doesn't fit our agenda. We have something much bigger planned. If you die, our plan goes away. But Jesus knows that it's not just about this life. There's something far bigger going on that we need to pay attention to. And so he says this in verse 26. Whoever serves me must follow me. And whoever I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. What a major statement this is. Did you catch it? My father will honor the one who serves me. Therefore, we must follow and serve Jesus. So that begs the question, what does that look like? How do we serve Jesus? How do we follow him? How can we do that in the context of our particular lives? We all then have a role to play. And I wonder, what is that for you? For me, my earlier time of being here at Fifth was being the youth pastor, which Sam Eldersveld is playing that role now. Uh, again, helping students to know what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus and to follow him and to see, uh, again, and to serve him throughout our lives. Well, as I moved on to, at, at Kuiper College, I was training youth pastors to be able to train and equip others to do the same thing. Uh, and to be able to know God's word and to live and to practice it as we live our lives. And now as I come to fifth, I get the role to be able to create a family-like feel. Again, connecting with one another, serving and loving and caring one another as best we possibly can. Uh, helping those that are in charge of our care ministry to meet the needs of those within our community. Uh, I have, again, with Sam and with Lindsay and working with our children's and youth programs and creating educational opportunities to help us to grow and understand God's word. Uh, to do pastoral care uh, for those that are in needs. And occasionally, I get to preach. That's some of my role. We all have a role of which we get to play. 
It's not about just coming to worship on a Sunday morning or turning it in online and feel like we've done our duty. There's far more to what Jesus' agenda is for us. Uh, Just to know him and just to identify his name, well, the demons can do that. There's far more than what he has to in store for us. Uh, To be able to serve him and to have our lives as a reflection of what it is that we believe. But then Jesus goes on and says a prayer to his father. In verse 27, Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No. It is for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then the next line is a voice of the Father saying, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Now this was a learning experience for me because I only thought we heard God's voice at Jesus' baptism and at his transfiguration. But we have it here at his deepest moment. Jesus thought, again, maybe that's what the people were asking, God, God, take this away from me. No, 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 it's for this reason I'm here. Glorify your name in me. And he says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Then Jesus says to those in the company who heard that, the voice which you just heard was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from this earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show them the kind of death that he was going to die. And again, this was confusing to the folks that were listening. Death is not our agenda. You are not to die here. We want a Messiah who's going to live and to live and reign forever. But again, Jesus responds with something very challenging in verse 35. You are going to have the light, meaning himself, just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the darkness does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. Now, I don't know if you've had the experience ever of walking in complete darkness where you can't even see your hand in front of your face I have and anybody who was in youth ministry the years that I was here knows what I'm talking about because we used to play a game here in this building I learned this from my friend in Chicago it was called night crossing Uh, and we would shut off all the lights in the building and you started up in the bell tower and had to go to one of the worship center rooms in the other part of the building without being spotted by a flashlight, which I held. And it was a game. You had to take a thing, a little piece of paper, get it to the other and get it back to the other end for your team to win. Now, you'd think that's pretty benign. There's a lot of windows out here, and yes, these shades cover up pretty good. But what you don't know is the darkest place in this building, and it's right below you. There's a hallway that runs down all the way through and comes up over here. And it is completely dark. You cannot see your hand in front of your face. And I gotta tell you, I had a lot of fun hitting people with a flashlight down in that room when they didn't know the light was down there. Uh, But the reality is, when you are in darkness, you don't know where you're going. 
you are really just kind of inching yourselves away. You don't know how to walk in darkness. Well, Jesus says, and we would share this content during the, at the end of the game to say, God doesn't want us to walk in darkness. He wants us to walk in light. And he calls himself the representation of that light. And he wants us to become children of light. Believe in the light so that you may become children of light. What a gift. An opportunity we have to not be so unaware of what's happening. Jesus makes it very clear of what's happening by being in a relationship with him. So, that begs the question. So what does it mean to become children of light on this Palm Sunday? What does that look like? Jesus' triumphal entry ushers in the beginning of the end of his last week here on this world. He's coming with an agenda. And he has something that he's trying to accomplish of which we are going to kind of live through in this coming week. His death will allow many seeds to be produced. And we are those many seeds, those that call him our Lord and Savior. John makes it very clear in his writing in the gospel that we are to follow Jesus and to serve him by trusting in the light and trusting in who he is as we become children of light. So, what does that look like? How do we do that? Well, it begins with knowing his word and doing what that word says. James 1.22 says, Do not merely be listeners of the word and so deceive yourselves, but rather do what it says. It's not just about hearing. It's not just about knowing. But it's about acting on and living into what he calls us to do. Now, we've been here throughout this semester semester, I'm back in academia world, uh, back in this season uh, from January at the beginning of the year talking about the Gospel of John. Uh, and Pastor John, a couple of weeks ago, shared a diagram with us uh, that's called the circle. And in the midst of that circle, uh, there's an event that takes place. Uh, and we called it a kairos moment. And the kairos moment would be, what is God doing to get your attention? Now, you might be here. Today, watching online or here in the sanctuary, as an event that God might be getting your attention. May you be coming regularly, but maybe today something is different. God is getting my attention with something. And as he does so, he communicates to us to repent and to believe. And to repent raises the question, what is God saying to you? He's got my attention, but something's happened that he's getting my attention. What is he saying to you? Uh, and in that, we have some time to make some observations, to reflect a bit, uh, and to discuss, maybe with some folks, about what God is saying to us. And that moves us then into the time of believing. And the believing means that we start to identify a plan. We have some commitments with those who are closest to us, and then we start to do something. Now, that doing might be something in our thinking, something in our feelings, our convictions, or maybe it's something in our behavior that will create some kind of a transformational event that will turn the direction of our lives. Now, my hope is that we take this diagram. This diagram is in your worship guide. My hope is that you take it home with you and you start practicing the exercises of asking the question, how has God gotten my attention this day or this week? And then saying, what do you think God is trying to say to you? 
And then to conclude that was, what do you think you ought to do as a result of what God is saying to you? Well, today, we have the conversation about becoming children of light. And so what does that look like? How is God kind of creating that? I would encourage a discussion about what I'm supposed to do at school. How do I want to become a children of light in the places where I'm with my friends? Um, how do I care for, love them? Uh, what is God saying that I should do in this environment to be a child of light is his reflection in my life? Or maybe it's in our, our co-workers, uh, in the places where we are employed. Uh, how do I care for those with whom uh, I'm working with as well as those I'm working for? Uh, or maybe it's in our neighborhood. How do I do that? How am I a child of light within the context of my own neighborhood? Or maybe my church setting. What does that look like doing? I got to tell you, it's easy for me to be that light in this setting. Because we're amongst friends. And it's, it's easy in this world. But it's harder for me when I'm sitting on hold, waiting for the person to show up on the phone. Uh, instead of getting caught in this automated system and whatnot, my blood begins to boil a little bit. And it's, it's hard to be a light when that person finally comes on the line. Uh, in a sense, I know I need to work at that. Um, I need to work at it in, in all arenas of my life, whether it be, again, in my work setting, in my neighborhood, in my home, and in my hobbies as well. Uh, I want to be a joy to be able to get to do things with one another. Uh, and so looking for ways that I can do that and have conversations with the important people in our lives, uh, my wife, our small group, our, our community, whatever that might be to entertain that conversation. Now, I would normally conclude right here. But in my years of teaching at Kuiper College, I had a little exercise that I wanted to end with. And it was kind of like, what's the last next step that we need to consider? Uh, and, it's, and it's this idea of what change do we want to see God take place in our lives as a result of what we've heard today? What's the change that God is asking us that results in that transformation uh, what is it? Is it in my thinking? Is it in my feelings? Is it my actions? What specifically do I want to see God do in my life as a child of light? What does that look like? Matthew 5.16 makes it really clear. Uh, he says, let your light show shine before men that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. So, what does that look like? Well, I want to encourage us to go through the circle. Uh, walk through those steps. What is God trying to say to us? Take some opportunities to make some observations, to reflect and to discuss it with folks around us. For me, in that being a child of light, I have to be in God's word on a daily basis to remind me what I'm supposed to do. Becky is very good at reminding me of what my hope and desire is as I go into my hobbies. Uh, you know, playing golf on the golf course, to enjoy that time with the friends around me, to make it something that is joyful for everybody. I want to reflect and become the light of Christ in whatever I'm doing. So God wants us to believe in him and to become children of light. What does that look like for you this day? Let's pray. Lord, I give you thanks for your word that we are privilege to be able to be in a safe environment where we can have these dialogues. May there be a complete umbrella of grace around us as for those that are still searching, still trying to understand what does it mean to be your children? What does it mean to follow you? What does it mean to serve you? Lord, help us to be encouraging 
Uh, we recognize that we've got some adolescents that are still uh, making their professions of faith coming in the days ahead. We still have many adults that are still trying to reflect on what does it mean to be a believer. I hear this stuff about you. But Lord, help me to grasp what that looks like and how I live that out in my daily life. As your promise is that you are with us always to the very end of the age. Help us to live into this the way that you want us to. That on this Palm Sunday, as we reflect on this coming week, we may become children of light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.